It's good to see um, each of you this morning. Praise God for gathering us here today to worship Him and to learn from His Word. Please locate in your Bibles this morning the New Testament book of Acts. Acts of the Apostles and the second chapter. We continue to work our way through this series of teaching on why. Why do we do what we do as a church? Why when you come to a particularly a Sunday morning gathering or even a Sunday evening gathering, are you going to hear people sing? Whether we have live accompaniment or not, whether we have recorded accompaniment or not, for years we existed without both. Why will we sing praise to God? Why, when many churches chose to not sing, did we as a church make the conscious decision to sing? Why do we pray? Why do we have prayer meetings? Why do we offer prayers to the Lord? Why, why, do we, um, uh, why do we preach? Why am I doing this? Why do I do this every Sunday? Why do I labor over the preparation of a message? And um, uh, that, that, that could be something thematic, as this present series is. It could be something uh, um, uh, uh, consecutively through a book of the Bible, as most of the time I would do. Why, why go through um, hours of research and study and then um, uh, putting ideas out on paper and then writing down what I'm going to say? And sometimes, because of everything else that's going on in the week, um, only manage some bullet points. But why, why do I do that? Why do I speak? Do I, is it because uh, you know, am I some sort of vocal narcissist who enjoys the sound of his own voice? I can assure you I don't tend to listen to recordings of myself. I do not enjoy the sound of my own voice. That's one of the reasons why I prefer other people doing readings. I prefer other people contributing various verbal things because I, I, I would rather hear other people. But why do I do this? Why do I preach the Word of God? And why, if it's not me, it's someone else? Always, when we gather as a church, you will have a message. Why? Why do we baptize? Why, why particularly, are we, are, are we so careful to baptize believers and to baptize them immersively in water? Why, why do we take the Lord's Supper? Why, why, why was I um, uh, urging you to be present whenever we take the Lord's Supper? Thus, this evening we will be taking the Lord's Supper. Because as I said last week, we moved the, the first Sunday night of the, the month program to this week. Because we didn't have an evening last week. Why, why is that important? Why should we as Christians not just shrug that off? These are questions that we've looked at over the past few weeks. I hope that, that you've retained the answers to those questions. And if not in the specific wording, that nonetheless you, you, you have come away with just, if, if nothing else, you're able to say it's really important. 
And the Bible tells us so, so that's why we do it. That, that will suffice. But we come to another one. There's just two more. Um, and, and I know there's a lot of other stuff that we might do as a church, and there's, there's plenty of other things that might be going on in church life, but I, I trust that we've covered all of the essentials, all of those, those core practices of our church existence by the time we're, we're done. This week, I would like to ask, why do we fellowship? I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. I'm going to, to pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the Scriptures. Thank You that every word of them is breathed out by You and is profitable for our instruction, for our uh, uh, correction and rebu rebuke, for teaching, for training in righteousness, for equipping us with all that we have need of for life and godliness. Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would uh, bless this message for uh, our conviction, for our edification, for our strengthening as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do we fellowship? Now, uh, the word fellowship might conjure different images in your mind. What are some of the, uh, the things that, that you might have heard? You don't have to say it out loud, but in your mind, you can think of all of the different words that are used to um, uh, refer to, to fellowship, the different things that fellowship relates to. For me, not sure about you, but fellowship in my cultural background was a meal after the service. Maybe not even a meal, but some hot drinks and refreshments. Uh, basically, in, in um, our British context, the, the old tea and coffee thing is, is fairly uh, unique from my experience before coming to this country. In the USA, we didn't really do that. Uh, I think that's something that's missing, frankly that sort of opportunity to, to share a, a, a refreshment, a beverage, and a, um, a snack with each other and, and chat. Uh, instead, it's sort of hit the doors as soon as the closing prayer is, is prayed. And um, see if you can beat the church down the road to the all-you-can-eat buffet. That's not even overstatement. I mean, they're, the restaurants are heaving with the people after church. And at least, you know, maybe they're 
gathered with other people in those contexts. But within the four walls of a church building, it's, it's not a given that you're going to have something after the service. So when you do have something after the service, it's really special. And they call it fellowship. So shorthand, in the American context, the announcements are being given. After the service, we're going to have fellowship. Which is quite funny now that I look at it from a British perspective and from a biblical perspective. I'm not saying that British and biblical are always aligned like that, but you, you see what I'm saying? It's a bit, it's a bit odd um, to say after the service we're going to have fellowship when fellowship is an essential of the local church gathering. It's not a special event, a special occasion. Oh, uh, you know, in, uh, we're going to you know, crank out the coffees and donuts afterwards for a change just to, to uh, mix it up a bit. Or in the autumn, uh, fellowship might be um, um, hot, non-alcoholic, apple cider, um, uh, or any number of things that, you know, we're going to have fellowship. And fellowship, therefore, conjured in my mind um, uh, images of styrofoam cups with something, something hot inside and um, may, may, maybe some other sweet something on the side. I don't know if that's uh, at all something that translates to your own experience or to your own culture. I certainly hope that fellowship means more than an after-service bit of fun to you. But that's what it, it was to me. After church, we're going to have fellowship meant potentially hot drinks and sweets, at best an occasional meal. Annually, perhaps? Twice a year? Could be? I suppose if you're very fortunate, quarterly. But fellowship is much more than that. No, it, it, it is not less than that. When you share a meal together, when you share food together, when you share some refreshment together, that is fellowship. But fellowship should be a part of the routine of church life. A, a part of the constant rhythm of who we are and what we do. Fellowship is a word derived from the Greek word koinonia. It does not mean after service teas and coffees. Koinonia does not mean um, uh, uh, an after service meal. It has a much broader meaning. Koinonia is a complicated word that, uh, to translate because of its layers of meaning, but it essentially relates to sharing. To warm, familial participation and partnership with one another around something. Fellowship is not the communal body of believers itself. And so some, sometimes I hear um, uh, people say that they, they, they are um, uh, going to the fellowship. Some churches are called something, something, fellowship. But to be precise... Actually, that is a church. Fellowship is not the body of believers itself. The body of Christ simply gathered together. Fellowship is, in fact, what the body has and what the body does. Are we clear on that? 
For example, New Testament fellowship is seen in things such as generously giving to support our brothers in need, even as we have received abundantly from God. Thus, our fellowship is with God as He gives lavishly of His grace to us, and our fellowship is with one another as we share what we have with one another. It's all very fine and biblical to meet together. In fact, the very last of our um, um, sermons on this particular question of why we do what we do is gathering. Why do we gather? It's very important. But the mere act of meeting does not entail biblical fellowship. Everything about meeting together might be in lockstep with biblical theology. Please hear me on this. Everything might be in lockstep with biblical theology, with sound doctrinal principles, and everyone, everyone, that never happens here, I'd love it to, but everyone might be present for every meeting, but that does not necessarily mean the fellowship is healthy. Or even that that is fellowship. It could be stiflingly rigid, and lifelessly performed. And the congregation present because they are coerced by the leadership rather than compelled by love. Do we see the distinction between that? Now I want you to get to the point where you fellowship as regularly as you have opportunity because you're compelled by love. I can't make you do that. I can't force you to fellowship. It's an impossibility to force biblical fellowship because sharing is something that is done out of glad and generous hearts voluntarily unto the Lord and with each other. There are churches that may be packed to the seams with people. Always, every Sunday, and they have an impressive program of events and yet, can we say the fellowship is healthy? Not always. Why do we fellowship? And lest you misunderstand what I, I, I just said, I must say I'm not preaching about other churches today. I said my bit about them. Some of them do it well, some of them maybe less well. That's for them to examine. One thing I do not want us to create is a we are better than that church down the street attitude. It's not humble. Sometimes it might be true. But we'll let God, we'll let God sort that out. What we need to do is to examine ourselves and realize, first of all, as we draw near to the light, as we draw near to the holiness of God, we are sinners. And to confess we are not perfect in this area. To confess that this side of the eternal heavenly city, we will never do this as we ought completely or entirely, but we must long to, we must strive to. We can't, we can't wave it off like, uh, you know, no one's perfect, but we must seek to please God in our fellowship. We fellowship because we have fellowship. Understanding what fellowship is, sharing what we have with one another, 
participating in something together. We fellowship because we have fellowship. Fellowship is our relational position with God and with each other. It is before we, we, want, we want to leap to something else. We want to talk about what we share. We want, we want to talk about receiving what someone might share with us. We, we want to talk about those occasions where we have an opportunity to tap into our resources that God has blessed us with and pour that into someone else potentially. But, but we cannot talk about those things until we have addressed who we are. The problem with our fellowship is often that we leap to what we do instead of starting with our identity in God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have fellowship with God and with each other. It is an existential reality. It is our relational position. It is where we are at. We have it. Baptism and, and the giving of the Holy Spirit are talked about in the preceding verses. We looked at those just a couple of weeks ago. They are cut to the heart and they ask Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about how baptism demonstrates union with Christ. It depicts the internal reality of our spiritual union with Him by grace through faith. It is a declaration that my unity is with Jesus. That I am reconciled to God in Christ alone. That Jesus died and I share in His death. That He rose again and I share in His resurrection. He, the death He died, He died to sin. So I die to sin and I'm raised to walk in newness of life. It tells us that we are reconciled to God. That, that, that we are reconciled to each other. The Holy Spirit fills all believers. It is not a matter of this person is baptized by the Spirit and that person isn't. They have to wait for another blessing later at some point. You will not find that in the New Testament. You will not find that in the early centuries of the church. You will not find that in the, um, uh, at all, even in the worst days of the medieval church. You will not find that in the Reformation church. When we believe in Jesus Christ, when we repent of our sins, when we are saved, when we are brought from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His marvelous light, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Thus we are baptized in water to say, I'm one with God. Does that make sense? And so, so when, when we know that sort of reconciliation to God, we, though we were sinners, are brought into right relationship with the Holy God. We then have good fellowship with each other. It's not just God, but it's each other. Yesterday I had a, a troubling conversation with someone who, who was, was saying that they, that they thought it was the same thing to just stay at home and read the Bible and, and instead of gathering with the believers. They know better than that. They've been taught better than that. 
repeatedly. And yet, the damages of the past year have brought them to a point that I just, you know, I, 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 I say at home and I read the Bible. And I learn from that. How that, that might depict you are reconciled to God, but it fails to depict that you are reconciled to each other. We need each other. The church there in Acts 2 grows. There are added to their number 3,000 souls. Added to the gathering, added to the church. What is the church? It is believers in Jesus. Baptized on profession of faith and repentance. Committed to living life by the power of the Holy Spirit in right relationship to God and His people. Covenanted together to fellowship. The church, though multiple and even many different people, is one body in Christ. It is the local assembly of God's people set apart for distinctiveness positionally in Christ, called to distinctiveness progressively in Christ, and part of a global body of different people in different places who may or may not know each other, but know and are known by the same Jesus who is Lord over all. We can share the good things that we have we can fellowship horizontally with one another because vertically we already share the same Lord, the same faith, the same baptism, the same God and Father. And because by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the redemptive work of Christ, we have a share in the inheritance of the heavenly kingdom. Not merely as subjects of a king, but as sons of a loving heavenly father. You say, you know, what, what about daughters? I, I was using specifically biblical language because at that time, sons, the oldest son, received the inheritance. That's just the way that things were set up. We are inheritors of the kingdom. All of us in Jesus. Whoever we are, wherever we're from, whatever we've done, wherever we've been, wherever we're coming from, whatever's next, if we believe in Jesus Christ and we're trusting in Him and we're repenting of sin, all of us who believe in Jesus are reconciled to God and to each other. The oneness of the church, out of which generous sharing proceeds, is made all the more remarkable by fragmented and how broken we were in our sin. Do you, do, you, do you think of that? Do you recall your sin? Do you think of... Never mind recall your sin as though it's something distant in the past. The sins of this morning. The sins of last night. The sins of this week. Do, do you realize the fragmenting effect of sin? We, before we came to Christ and knew the forgiveness of our sins and knew that we could confess our sins and be forgiven, we were separated. 
from Christ. We were alienated from the covenant commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. We had no hope and we were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, we who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace. Christ has made us one. Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall of hostility between us and God. The dividing walls of hostility between us and each other. He has reconciled us together to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Hostility that God had toward us as sinners. Hostility that we had toward God as sinners. Hostility that we had toward one another as people who simply could not live together in love. But Christ was broken to put us and our fragmented, broken relationship with God back together. And not only to put our relationship with God back together, but to put our relationship with each other back together. As a result, we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us participation with us, partnership with us, sharing with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you're walking with us, you're going to be walking with God. And if you're walking with God, you're going to be walking with us. That's what John is saying in that, that verse. Later, verses 6 and 7 of 1 John 1, we read, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. That's why we began this morning with reading Psalm 99, which reminds us of the holiness of our King, the Lord God, and how as, as we draw near to the holiness of God, He exposes us. And so some people don't want to go to God because their deeds are evil and they don't want to bring that into the light. But some of us, we, go, we come to the light in desperation because we, we, we've been convicted that our deeds are evil in some way. We come into the light of the holiness of God and we see just how bad they are and we, we need the light so that we can be cleansed. And so we walk in confession and we walk in repentance and we walk in renewal but when someone's saying, I have fellowship with God, but is walking in darkness, I have, there's, there's, get what they're saying. They're saying, I participate in the light. I share in the light. I have union with the light of God. Yeah? But they don't. They walk in darkness. How insulting is that? to say to the one who is light, who dwells in unimaginable light, oh, I, I have fellowship with Him, when fellowship means union. And no darkness dwells in God. You're lying. We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship. 
It goes further than, than we have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Last week I was talking about the Lord's Supper. And one of the verses that I quoted from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, uses the same word that is most commonly translated fellowship, koinonia. Koinonia, um, but it translates it into a different word than fellowship that I suppose is supposed to work better in English for that particular verse. It says, the cup of blessing that we bless, talking about the cup of the Lord's Supper, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Fellowship. Participation is the word that you need to be looking at. So, so when we share the Lord's Supper, we fellowship with God and we fellowship with each other. Now, if you weren't around last week and you didn't catch up on that sermon and so you're not clued up as to why that's very important, you can watch that on YouTube or listen to it on our podcast. But we must realize that if we're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing as a church, it's inescapable to fellowship if we do it seriously and right. To participate with our whole being and what's going on with God and with each other is fellowship. Paul writes in Philippians 3 of how he has, because of his faith in Christ and obedience to Christ, suffered. He's lost everything, in fact. But he says he counts it all as excrement. That's his words, slightly more colorful what he says. He counts it all as nothing, as rubbish, as something you would run away from or, or veer away from walking down the pavement. Um, he counts it as that so that he might know Christ. He's fine. He's absolutely fine doing without things. He's absolutely fine losing some things because he aspires to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. To share in the sufferings of Christ. To participate in the sufferings of Christ. Not just spiritually or metaphorically, but in some sense really to do without, to sacrifice because of the blessings He has eternally in Jesus is worth it. Because He, he, he sees that fellowship has value. Fellowship has treasure. Fellowship brings Him into sharing something of God Himself. And so He can do without the temporal things of the world. We, we uh, enjoy unity and communion with God. We share in the beauty and blessings of God. We participate in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have ongoing forgiveness of sin and divine power to walk in faithfulness with one another. We have fellowship. It, it, this 
room, if you believe in Jesus, fellowship is something that you have. So um, uh, if, if you're like, oh, I just, you know, I just think that what's lacking is the fellowship. I, I just don't feel like I'm having fellowship. Then watch what you're saying. Be very careful and precise because the Christian has fellowship. I don't want you saying something that implies that you're lost, but that's exactly what, what you are saying when you say, I, I feel like I don't have fellowship. Because existentially, as a follower of Jesus, I've demonstrated, I, I hope fairly clearly from Scripture, that we have fellowship with God and with each other simply by grace through faith in Jesus. So if you know what you have, then you, you, you know who you are. And if you know who you have and who, uh, what you have and who you have, you have God and you have the body of believers and you know that that's a core part of your identity, then you can move on to the other aspects of fellowship. We fellowship not simply because we have fellowship, we fellowship because we must fellowship. Thus, back to um, our text in Acts chapter 2, baptism, being brought into the church, being filled with the Holy Spirit, all of that testifies to the fellowship that we have. But now it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So fellowship is not only our relational position, but it is our functional practice as we work out the implications of oneness with God and His people. Having externally depicted the internal reality of fellowship with God and with each other in the waters of baptism, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Devotion is a serious and sustained commitment that is more than an afterthought, but it is the defining thought. It is more devotion. This type of devotion is more than a weekly activity. It is a constant ministry. Do you see the difference? The, the problem churches are so tragically unhealthy, the problem behind why churches are dying is often, not always, but often because they have built their existence around occasional activity. A day here, an occasion there, an event here, a service on a Sunday morning. They come, they say, I'll see you next week. They leave. You don't see or speak to them. You don't interact with them. You don't pray for one another. You, you don't check in. You don't talk. You don't text. You don't meet up. You, 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 you don't gather for ministry. You don't evangelize together. You don't do ministry together. It's just a group of people in a room that you gather with on a Sunday morning and you, you, you go and live your life. That is chapel going. That is churchianity, not Christianity. 
Christ brings us into Himself, and He brings us into His body, a body of many members, diverse members, all of which are knit together and are working together. And as we, we work together and we work on each other, we build each other up in love. But that does require devotion. Here is the problem. A lot of times people like to, in the same way with fellowship, they like to start with what do we do instead of what we have. There's an issue with others. Once they discover, oh, we, we should start with what we have, they don't want to move from that. So, oh, we have, fel we have fellowship already. Uh, I, I remember um, a... Uh, conversation about reconciliation um, between people, between believers. And it was in the context particularly of racial strife, ethnic division, and all of that. And someone was preaching to apply Scripture to that particular matter. And someone was like, we don't need, we don't need this reconciliation. We already have reconciliation at, at the cross. And I was just like, that's such an unhelpful thing to say. It's a foolish thing to say. Saying something like that does not build a church like this. Because, because when we say, oh, we already have reconciliation, we don't have any work to do, we don't have anything that we have to talk about or work through or tensions that we might have to address or repentance that we have to work out, we, you, know, you know, it's just like, oh, we couldn't sit back because we have reconciliation already in Jesus. No, we do, but that reconciliation that we have in Jesus propels us to be reconcilers and to conduct, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the ministry of reconciliation that has been entrusted to us so that we are reconciling one another in Christ through the preaching of the gospel and the application of it. So we must, in the same way, we must fellowship. We have fellowship, but there are plenty of churches that will say, oh, we have fellowship. Someone says, oh, I'm, I'm struck. They're not saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I feel I don't have fellowship. They'll be a little more careful. They're saying, I'm concerned that our church does not do fellowship very well. Now, that's very precise. And that is a valid concern. I'm concerned that our church does not do fellowship very well. We have to, uh, the, the answer to someone expressing that concern is not, hey, we, we, um, um, we have fellowship in Jesus. Do you not like perfection? Do, do you not like Jesus? We have fellowship in Him. That's not helpful. Deacons, we were talking about you not so long ago. Uh, what, what, if the, what if the widows had gone to the apostles in need. Remember in Acts chapter 6, they go to the apostles in need, right? And they have a particular need, something that they're asking for, something that they need that they go and they bring to the apostles. They're being neglected in some way. And the apostles say, Jesus is the bread of life. We have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I don't understand what you're complaining about. That's not, that's not right. That's not healthy. It's not a good response. So 
We have fellowship, but that does not necessarily entail that we are doing fellowship well. Going back to the truth that we have fellowship should propel us spiritually to do fellowship better. Sometimes it is said that um, um, Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. I've heard that saying. You could guess it was an American who said it. It's very clever. Nice turn of phrase. But it's a little too clever for its own good. Because um, uh, my pushback is that if you want more than Sunday morning church, if you want genuine Christian fellowship, that requires not a Saturday night decision, but an all-week disposition. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. The men who've attended our men's Bible study will be very familiar with this. We spent three weeks applying it in um, various ways and discussing it. Um, uh, it says that the one who isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. In short, the one who isolates himself is not wise. Isolation within the church is the withdrawal of a person into a self-centered mindset by which he thinks of himself more as a Christian individual than as a church member. Therefore, having no particular obligation to the congregation and no accountability to the leadership and the membership, but an attitude that says, I can do my own thing on my own time as I please. Theology, uh, theologically, this amounts to, to nothing less than a rejection of the biblical concept of the church as a spiritual building which requires bricks and mortar, a body which requires many members, a bride which is a particular kind of body um, uh, um, and one that implies that there is to be a marriage union with a groom at some point. Each of these images depict relationships of unity, of fellowship, Mutual responsibility is necessary for meaningful unity. That's fellowship. Sadly, though, those mindsets transfer to lifestyles and isolationism might take various forms. Perhaps a person is concerned about the spiritual growth or a la a a alleged lack thereof of other members but is unwilling to invest in them in any meaningful way. So that you, you, you're like, I'm concerned about that brother, or I'm concerned about that sister, or I don't like their attitude, or I don't like what they've done there, or I don't like, I, you, you know, and watch, watch your attitude when you're saying, I don't like this, that, or the other. Check yourself first. Make sure it's not some sort of pharisaic thing. But if there's a, a way in which they're out of step biblically, and just good practice sometimes, wisdom. Instead of thinking about them and stewing in that, instead of talking about them to someone else, go to them. Help them. Don't isolate yourself from a brother or sister who needs counsel or, or encouragement or advice. Help them. Do not develop a me and them standoffish attitude. 
Perhaps the opposite, though, can also be the case. The person has problems and knows it, but they wouldn't dare make themselves accountable to another church member or leader, but they keep wrestling with those problems in secret. Or everyone knows the problems. They know the problems. Other people know the problems. Someone else comes to them and says, Look, brother, sister, I, I, need, I need to talk with you about something. I'm just a bit... And they say it non-judgmentally. They say it very, very lovingly, very graciously. Isolationism can be rejecting that word of kind encouragement or sometimes instruction and rebuke, pushing back against that and continuing in a wrong way. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of ways in which people can isolate themselves from each other and not do fellowship. We must fellowship. Some people are unwilling to help bear other people's burdens. Some people are willing, and this is the frustration sometimes um, uh, pastorally for me, some people are willing, I have loads of people say, oh, I'm willing to help with this, that, or the other, but when it comes down to it, they're not present. They're not there. And, and, and so you can't really involve, you can't really engage them, you can't really involve them, you can't really help them without the, the lowest common denominator of participation being in place. Does that make sense as well? I, uh, there are others who would much rather just carry their own burdens. And they won't share their burdens. They won't ask for prayer. They won't confess sin. They won't talk to someone about their needs. They, they, you know, they, they won't... When, when they might be hungry. Their family might be hungry. But they will not ask for help before they, they go and do something silly to address it some other way. Or deprive themselves needlessly when, as a fellowship, as a church rather, that fellowships, we are willing, able, and ready to provide what they need. That's very frustrating. It's born out of pride. Other people are unwilling to let some people help bear their burdens, so they, they just go alone. But there's, there, um, I would say simply Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Isolationists within the church do not fulfill the law of Christ. They seek their own desire and they break out against all sound judgment. You say, you say oh, do you think I want to suffer? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you desire that, but functionally, behaviorally, that is the choice you have made when you keep yourself from the fellowship. Because if you just talked to someone about it, they would help you. And please, when someone talks to you after this morning's service because they've convicted and they need to share something, don't give them a be warmed and filled type of thing. Or a, oh, praying for you. Stop and pray for them there because I know the human nature well enough to know you say that and you promptly forget. You know, a week goes by and you're like, oh, I said I'd pray for that person and I've not done it. Read the quick prayer, come up alongside them. Hey, bro, I've been praying for you. Yeah, five seconds ago, you breathed the quick one to the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, that's not fellowship, is it? We, we, have, we have to address our, 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 the necessity 
of fellowship. We must fellowship. That's why they devoted themselves to it. You devote yourselves to necessities, right? To things you're passionate about. Well, let's keep going. We, we fellowship because we need fellowship. Our personal and spiritual poverty needs to be addressed. All came upon every soul. You read it in the text. All came upon every soul. Some translations render that fear. Um, but the, the sense of the term is all. They are amazed by God. They are amazed by what God is doing in the life of His people and through His people. All came on every soul. Wonders and signs were being done. They were together. They had all things in common. Selling possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to those who had need. We see that the church was characterized both by individual and communal impact. All came on every soul. That's an individual statement, right? So each individual person is amazed by God and is amazed by the fellowship of the believers. And then collectively they join together in ministry to those who are in need. And all of them are in need in some way. And so they're helping one another, and they're supporting one another, and they're caring for one another, and they're, they're, they're reaching out into their wider community and using that as a means to bring the gospel of Christ to people. And the, the church is growing and advancing. They're sharing, they're helping, they're serving, they're caring, they're communicating. It's a bit interesting, though, when, when, when you think about the way people respond to fellowship in different ways, you, you know, different, different things sometimes going on um, uh, through seasons of crisis. The way people respond to need, unfortunately, is sometimes to back away. Maybe it's not to back away from need, but it's to back away from confessing our neediness. We need fellowship. To say that we need the help of our brothers and sisters is a humbling thing. But we must do it. To help our brothers and sisters when they are in need can be a difficult thing that requires sacrifice, that requires stress that requires giving of our time or our energy or any number of other things to help. But if we are amazed by God, if all has come upon our soul, then we must be there for each other. We must fellowship. You know, it's one of the great sadnesses of the past um, year and a half how um, some, not all, some have responded to the whole concept of um, live streams, church during COVID and all of that. I think some of it is sinful. We have a live stream and it, it's viewed by over 30 people each week, it's not a lot. We're not really pushing it. Upwards to 40, I think, perhaps, around 37. Sometimes there might be no one now. I don't know. Hey, there's five viewing it. 
that view it live, yeah, at one time. But we have, we have, we have plenty who watch the service, you know. That's good. Praise God. There's people watching it. There's people benefiting. The brothers here put a lot of effort in for the five of you who are watching live. Um, so thank you, guys. You know. And we intend, for a while at least, to continue that for the sake of certain people. I just want to be clear on, on that, lest anyone go into a panic. I don't want that. What I'm concerned, though, is for the able-bodied, those in relatively good health, those who are young, those who are not vulnerable to serious sickness, particularly, those who decide, um, uh, you know, the, the, especially the type serious sicknesses that those who decide to shield themselves might be guarding themselves from. And these people don't fall into the category for which the live stream was set up. The live stream was set up as a concession for the sick. For the vulnerable. But I can't help but worry sometimes pastorally if it has not been abused by the lazy. Those who have no problem dining out in crowded restaurants and pubs. Eating food that others have breathed over and handled. As indeed all cooked food must be. Using utensils that total strangers have put in their mouths over previous meals. Granted, subsequently washed, but they've been handled again and they've been put out on tables only recently vacated. But to come to a high ceiling, well-ventilated, clean room with other people to sing songs to listen to a message and to participate in a collective act of essential worship and essential spiritual food is asking too much. Okay, lay that aside. You disagree, that's fine. Always happy to, to talk about it. You, you can't come. You won't come. You're able-bodied and healthy though but you don't engage in other opportunities for fellowship. Remember, fellowship means sharing. Other ministries that are going on. We aren't the world, brothers and sisters. We are the church. And the church of Jesus Christ has a great commandment to obey and a great commission to keep. We have a community that is in need. Can you help your neighbor? Can you collect groceries for someone who's self-isolating? Can you pick up a prescription? Can you, can you, you're like, oh, no, no, I'm not leaving the house. I'm not leaving. Can you call someone who's lonely, who's in need of emotional conversation? There are any number of ways in which I've watched quite sadly as as people have responded in the most unhealthy of ways to this crisis. I hear people say things like, my sleep schedule is absolutely wrecked. Why? Life goes on. 
If you maintained healthy disciplines and rhythms, it shouldn't have been. It's a change of scenery. But you, you work, you tend to your chores, your family, you sleep, you work, but you let, it, you let your sleep schedule get wrecked because of your laziness or because of your indiscipline. Netflix or YouTube or something else. Your work suffers. Why? Are you working as unto the Lord and not unto men? Because if you're working as unto the Lord and not to men, it doesn't matter if you're working from home. You'll work and you'll work hard and you'll do your work well. Your fitness. Ah, oh, because the gyms are closed. How, how, how did the world exist before mass marketed gyms? How was their health? Your diet suffers. Oh, I've just been ordering in loads of junk and stuff. You didn't have to. You chose to. You know, you actually could have been healthier as a result of this. Maybe more, less time commuting. You can use that to exercise or to prepare healthy meals. Uh, you know, a whole host of ways in which people act like, oh, lockdown this, COVID this. No, you. And one of many things on the list is fellowship. If these other things have or are suffering, not all, but many have no reason, uh, sorry, if you have no reason other than lockdown, it may be your fault. Because plenty of people have gone through the past year and a half and life goes on. And they're healthier, and some of them are happier, and some of them are holier. The choices you have made or not made, your own lack of self-discipline, your own lack of relational commitment or strong work ethic or personal devotion, order and consistency has wreaked damage on other aspects of your life. We need to be careful that it does not damage any further our fellowship, but it helps us that we ch we're challenged today to, to grow in this area, to be serious about this. I, I know, it, it, trust me, it's difficult for me to say some of these things. Never mind to, to, for you to hear them. I'm anticipating you hearing some of them, and maybe there's discomfort. But I make no apologies. Because if we have fellowship, then we must fellowship. And there are many ways you can fellowship. Because you and your brother and sister need fellowship. Everyone's very quiet today. I keep having to ask, am I making sense? Because I'm not, I'm not sure if we're just, if it's the weather or what it is. But... Um, we, we, we must get a hold of this if we will be a healthy church. We, 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 we fellowship. It, it, it's, it, it, you're like, oh, I just, you know, it's a hard message. It really shouldn't be. It's only hard if you're convicted, and you're only convicted if the Holy Spirit's talking, and, and He's only talking to that issue if you're sinning in some area. But I want this to be a very positive and encouraging thing. 
Because we fellowship, not only because we have fellowship, that's the good news, that's the gospel. We can always go back to that and find forgiveness and find restoration and reconciliation and the foundation for healing. We fellowship because we must fellowship. We fellowship because we need fellowship. We fellowship because we want to fellowship. And I don't know if you want to fellowship or not because sometimes, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Would I have to preach this message if you want to fellowship? Would I have to say the more difficult things if you want to fellowship? Would I have to send out a text to remind you about our weekly service times if you wanted to fellowship? You know what I'm saying? If, 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 there's, if there's disciplines that you have in your life, and not just discipline, but a desire... I'm going to be there. I live my life with the disposition that I will be with my brothers and sisters and I will gather with them and I will sing and I will pray and I will listen to the message and respond to it and I will see and celebrate people baptized and I will take the Lord's Supper and that's my life and everything else revolves around the Lord because the Lord is my life. I work for the Lord, not just for my boss and so that affects my work ethic. I, 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 I eat to be a good steward of the body that God has given me. I, I, I enjoy the life that I have as um, our sister Monica texted me about a um, passage in Ecclesiastes and it, it's just so earthy. So some people would say, oh, it's, you know, Scripture really concerned with the mediocrity of daily life? Yes. It says, let your garments be white and your head anointed with oil. That's not a spiritual statement. He's saying, wear clean, decent clothes and have a fresh face, a good hygiene routine, and be healthy. Because he just said about having a good marriage, too. And he just said about working hard in this life that God has given us. Doing everything well as unto the Lord. God cares about your life. And believe it that He cares about your fellowship. And your fellowship helps your life, and it heals your life, and it helps other people's lives. If we're doing it well and rightly. I, I don't know about you, but I want to fellowship. When, when, when I go on holiday, and I'm gone on a Sunday, I'm always looking before I even go, where can I meet with brothers and sisters? I told you about my recent holiday where, you know, I, I did that. And, you know, I, I didn't feel particularly welcomed. Just the way things were set up. There wasn't a lot of greeting going on. There wasn't a lot of interaction. There was, yeah, I, I felt a bit lonely afterwards. People looked right at me and said nothing. I don't want that to happen here, ever, to anyone. But you know what? I'm still glad I went because I have fellowship. And though I might have disagreed with the way they did some things, and I might have thought some of them were a bit rude and standoffish, and some of them just didn't communicate, I still regard them as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's kind of why I care. That's why I feel that something just wasn't right. And that's why I pray that maybe I can go back in better times and see them in a better way. I want to fellowship. 
the, the longing of my heart is to fellowship. It, it's it's um, sometimes, you know, I don't know that everyone sees all of that, but, um, but the stuff behind the scenes, but the criticisms that someone gets for leading their church to gather, even when they're allowed legally. Leading their church to sing, even when they're allowed legally. Leading, you know, the type barbed comments and um, insinuations and sometimes people coming to me about someone else thinking I'll agree with them, but I agree with the person they're criticizing about that. And I eventually just said to one of the brothers who was doing this, have you ever thought about what the scriptures say about stronger and weaker brothers? And you know, it says, you know, stronger, and, and you, you think that, um, that we are the stronger ones because we're meeting, or that we think we're the stronger ones because we're meeting. And, and you feel insulted. You feel like maybe because we're meeting, we're looking down on you as weaker. And I'm like, that doesn't even occur to my, my mind. I'm just concerned about us, really, our church. You guys do as you're led in your context. But let me... Let me be very clear. We meet because we are weak. We sing because we're weak. We pray because we're weak. I preach not out of strength, but because I'm weak. We share because we're weak. Baptism is a picture of weakness. You don't think that. Watch the videos from last week. It's not, <laughs> it's not always the most graceful thing. It's a strange thing. We take the Lord's Supper because it depicts Christ in His weakness. We need God and we need each other. I want to do something about that. I want to fellowship. And you know what? The early church did too. It wasn't a have to, it was a get to. We get to fellowship in worship. They did this with glad and generous hearts, the text says. Praising God. We get to fellowship not only in worship, we get to fellowship in witness. They were in the temple. They were from house to house. They had favor with all the people. They, they did this because it says they were filled with awe. They were amazed by God. As they did this, others were filled with awe and others were amazed by God. The church grew and with it, guess what? The fellowship. They, they met regularly, daily in the temple and in house, from house to house, having favor with all people with glad and generous hearts. They wanted to. They had fellowship with God and with each other as they walked in the light of confession, repentance, and faith in Christ. As we read in 1 John, they demonstrated the spiritual reality of entering the fellowship in the waters of baptism and continuing in that fellowship as they took the Lord's Supper, as we saw emphasized in 1 Corinthians 10. They gave their support, called actually the right hands of fellowship. The right hands of fellowship, giving support to people sent out to proclaim the gospel among the nations. Galatians chapter 2 verse 9 uses that terminology of the right hands of fellowship um, uh, in that passage. 
Churches like that at Corinth are urged in 2 Corinthians 9.13 to give generously to a relief project for suffering Christians. And it said that people will glorify God due to the generosity of their contribution. But that word contribution is, get this, koinonia. Thus fellowship. The generosity of their fellowship for them and for all others who would receive and be blessed by their gift. Fellowship is not about just you gathering as such because you can act like a stranger in a full room. But it is about you gathering to share, to share acts of worship, to share in ministering and receiving the Word, to share in sacraments, to share blessings and burdens with your family in Christ, to share generous gifts for important and ongoing needs, to share spiritual food and physical food, to, in the words of Hebrews chapters 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share. By the way, share is koinonia, koinonia, fellowship. Share, fellowship, what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's commit ourselves to repentance, to confession, and to, to growth in this area. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that you in your mercy and grace have revealed your will to us in your word. Help us to submit to it. Help us to, um, to proactively fellowship, to share. There are many ways in which we can do this. In fact, um, no, no previous era really has the opportunities for connectivity afforded to it. And yet... It is sad to see that with so much connectivity, there is so little community. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for any way in which we have failed in this area. And I pray that you would help us to grow. Always, never to feel that we've arrived, but to always develop and be strong in this. Lord, we thank you that you do help us to fellowship so we are able to share times like this. We're able to share of our bodies, so we, we have fellowshiped with the church at Hyde Heath by sharing Charles to preach to them this morning. We ha have uh, fellowshiped with our, our, our brother Vadim Kaczynski in um, Sushki as we will give a missions offering this evening. We will fellowship a contribution, a fellowship to him tonight. We will fellowship. We will share a gathering with our brothers and sisters from Walthamstow tonight. We, we have fellowshipped our sister, my wife, Uliana, to the um, House of the Gospel Church in Kwanitsky this morning and indeed this past week. We, we, we have fellowshipped. We have shared in ways this week. We will fellowship the food for the food bank and the homeless. We will fellowship the uh, abundance that you have blessed us with in various ways. But Lord, as we have begun, may we continue. May we strive to do more. Even as we look out, may we continue to look in, not just to someone outside this room, but to someone in this room who needs help, who needs care, who needs words of comfort. We fellowship for those who are unable to be with us this morning.
Some of them are, are dealing with substantial personal difficulties in their families, in their uh, sicknesses, in their children, vulnerabilities with their own health, sicknesses in their own life. And there are some, sadly, who, who sin. And there are some who are lazy. Lord, we pray that in your mercy and grace, you know everything about everyone. Help us to be attentive and alert to the needs of our family in Christ, to minister to them, to reach out to them, to help them. And Father, I pray that you would, um, you would help us and minister to us as we do so. In Jesus' name, amen.